Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connections, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of Back to Basics. I honestly can't believe that I'm saying episode number 20. When I started this journey, actually before I started this journey, and I was doing the podcast fellowship by Alex De Palma and Seth Godin, they said at some point during the program that if you made it to 20 episodes, you were officially a podcaster. So thank you very much, everybody out there that has listened, even to one episode, because that has given me inspiration to keep going and ship every week what I believe have been awesome interviews with amazing people. So here it is, number 20. And for this episode, I wanted to be the guest. I guess that episode number 10, also to mark that milestone, I did an episode about bucket lists. And I've gotten the feedback that it was a good episode and you enjoyed listening to me. So I figure, well, every 10 episodes, I might steal the spotlight and uh, share some of my own experiences with you. So as I was preparing for this episode, it's meaningful, right? And I wanted to talk about something that is meaningful. And what it came to mind is, and maybe it is because it's very recent in my brain, was my last interview with Zach Luce. Um, I enjoyed that interview very much. I enjoy talking to him. I had never met him in person, but definitely a lot of what he said resonated enough that I had to check his podcast out. His podcast is called Guided and he's fantastic. So I definitely invite you to to listen to it and see if it does anything for you. But it definitely is doing a lot for me. And uh, his motto or the motto of the podcast is following your intuition no matter where it takes you. And I think that's just brilliant. And when I look back at my life, I think the reason why Zach's podcast resonates with me is because I have followed my intuition a lot. And in many instances, I've been called crazy. I've been called uh, a, a whole lot of different things, but mostly crazy and, and you know, sometimes perceive as doesn't she have enough to do or doesn't she have enough on her plate that she has to go do something else? And uh, that curiosity sometimes have been mistaken by, I don't know, by lack of fulfillment, which I definitely don't think I have. I feel very happy with my life, but I just have a, an eternal curiosity for things. And I do pay attention to the signs. Uh, Zach, calls them. I don't remember if it was on the interview or in a later conversation that we had, he calls, he called them the whispers. And uh, since very young age, I have heard those whispers and in my head, um, 
telling me to do stuff. So today I'm going to share one of them. And when I was trying to follow the lead on of my mind saying which which episode I want to share, I it came to mind one that really has touched my personal life, my professional life, and, and, and I still feel the benefits of following that intuition. So if you remember from my bucket list episode, I mentioned a lot of things that I wanted to do. On that very list, there was learning French. Mind you, I did not have a French boyfriend, which probably is the first thing that comes to your mind on why I wanted to learn French. I wasn't planning a trip to France. I really had no reason on earth why I would want to learn French. And I was lucky enough that I already spoke Italian because of my parents and I spoke English. So it really, you know, a fourth language wasn't really that necessary. However, it got into my mind, or I guess my intuition told me, learn French. And as a joke, you know, what I did is start by buying the Berlitz Think and Talk. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but basically there were CDs and you can play it on your car or in your car. And I did have kind of a long commute to work and I started, you know, like a joke. But in retrospective, I started how many brilliant coaches tell you to start, which is do small things at a time and find something small to get you to your goal. So I started doing that And it, of course, got into the point after a few months that I had done all the CDs. And I said, okay, I have to step it up. So I was doing my MBA. And, of course, when I had a couple of hours to fill at the university, I always had to look for stuff to do. So I enrolled at Alliance Francaise, which was close by. So I would leave my dual degree program, which was a full-time master's, double master's, to go to my French class and then go back to university to keep going on, on, on classes, right? So it was a little bit crazy, but I remember enjoying it. And um, so like that, two years went by, okay? But in those two years that I was taking French, I have to tell you, I was in a relationship. I was very much in love. And, uh, you know, I was just enjoying life. I had checked out an, a French course in France, and I had chosen the institute, I had chosen where I, which town in France I was going to go. But of course, again, I was in love, I was working, it's like, okay, I don't know where when this is going to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of chose everything and was following my intuition. So some time goes by. And after maybe three years of relationship, maybe four, I really thought I was going to marry this guy and uh, we break up and the first thing that came to mind is oh now I can maybe do the France thing and uh, you know but life kept going and I didn't act upon it and what happened then it's after 10 months apart we go back together me and my ex and right around the time we got back together I was at work and I was printing a huge document. I used to work in proposals and I had, I think the, the shortest document was 100 pages. And I print this document and those were the times, you know, where the big printer was in a centralized location on, on the office floor. This is back in 2001. So it's a few years now. I'm dating myself. But anyway, 
And uh, I pick up the document from the printer and I start reading. And what do you know that in the middle of that 100-page document, waiting to be read by me, there were two pages and they were a printout of the exact institute I had chosen a, f a while back where I was going to go in France in the same city. That institute actually had four different cities where you could go. But no, the pages were from the same exact city that I had chosen. And I was shocked. I was shocked. I started looking around. I started, this was after hours, right? So it was probably seven or eight. There were very few people in the office. I could not find who on earth printed those pages. Even now, I don't know. And I, when I think about it, it just shocks me. And you know, it hit me. The universe has ways to make you remember what is that you want. And so, yes, I was very happy that I had gotten back with my ex. That's what I wanted. I wanted to marry the guy. And he was, you know, one of these guys that has cold feet every five seconds. So he couldn't get his act together on that front. And uh, so it was a very hard breakup. But at that point, we were still together, right? We had just gotten back together. He tells me he wants to get married. He wants the full thing. And I'm happy. But then something inside of me, to be honest, got very sad because I realized I'm never going to do this. Now, if we get married, I'm never going to go to France and learn French and all these things. So leave aside the mystery of who printed the pages, which I will never know. What I can tell you is I do still have those pages with me. And I put them aside. And basically, a few more months went by. And uh, at that time, uh, after maybe four months of dating again, he got cold feet again. And... Uh, and so we decided, or I decided to, to break up again. And it was very painful. Right at that time also, the whole, the company that I was working for, which was Nortel, it was a 120,000 people company, it was huge. It was under, undergoing a major turmoil. There were layoffs. It was really nasty. And so I learned right around the same time, and me and my ex work in the same company, in the same building, mind you, that my whole team was going to get laid off. And so I was miserable. Again, 2001, one of the worst years of my life. And um, I used to joke around like, well, I just broke with my boyfriend of four years and I'm jobless. What else can be worse? Well, let me tell you. A few days later, I was at a tennis tournament, the Ericsson Open here in Miami, which is very famous. And I get a phone call that one of my best friends, my dearest friends in, that was living in Venezuela, had died all of a sudden. And uh, she was murdered by her husband. And, uh, and then he committed suicide. And it was such a devastating moment in my life. And everything kind of took a new meaning, right? Because before I was joking around what can be worse. And then the day that happened, I knew what can be worse, which is seeing one of your best friends and her life young and with no explanation about why her life ended. And it was just really rough.
So at that point, you know, I hadn't been fired yet, but, uh, you know, the whole company was crumbling. Eventually, Nortel went completely bankrupt and disappeared. But I remember going to my boss and saying, listen, don't sweat it anymore. I mean, if you have to fire people, I just want to leave. I want to go. And this is at the time where I wasn't a green card holder. I'm a green card holder now. But at that time, if I got out of the company I was working for, they would give you or they give you 30 days uh, when you're in certain types of visa to go back to your country. So for me to make that decision was probably one of the hardest ones I had spent in the U.S. by that time, probably about eight, nine years. And I thought I had a fantastic job. I was making very good money. I was barely on my 30s. I thought I had the relationship that, you know, was going to be the relationship. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing went upside down completely and with no explanation. So, and a few days back, I was listening again to Zach Luce's, um podcast. I think it's episode eight on self-worth. And I can relate this experience as uh, what he describes as the dark night of the soul in that episode, which basically is a moment in life where our entire life gets stripped down from anything we believe to be truth and any labels that you had. So at that time, I got stripped down of my top talent label, a Nortel, because, you know, if you're top talent while you're getting laid off, but that's what happened. And, you know, I was going in one direction personally, and then here I am having to face down that I was back to square zero. That's exactly how I felt. And it wasn't easy. You know what held me through it? Those two little pieces of paper. I went to my boss. I said, give me the layoff package. I want to leave. And I took those seven months of severance and invested it in me. Like that, I just went to Europe for six months to La Rochelle, which is the town I had chosen. And uh, I call it my back to basics. I think that was really when back to basics started brewing in my head because I went to a town where I didn't know anybody, didn't really speak too good of the language. I could get by by that time with my French, but uh, I lived with a French family. I was going to school on a bike, which, you know, if you've been in Miami, (laughs) biking is really a joke. Um, So it was uh, a little bit of a step back, but I loved it. I loved the fact that I could do that. And then for those six months, I think probably four people had my phone number. I totally alienated myself and and spent that time to be with me and to listen to myself. There's so much our heart wants to tell us, but just because we are overwhelmed with everything going around us every day that we don't listen, but the answers are there. And sometimes the universe just has to take control, like those two pages that I don't know where they came from, reminding me, this is something you wanted to do. Just go ahead and do it. Don't let a distraction get in the way. It's hard. It's hard to do it because sometimes also we want to control things. And and at that time in my life, 
I can recognize that I was in love and I wanted the relationship to work so badly that I was willing to put what I wanted on hold or not to think about what I wanted. And uh, But destiny found a way to remind me. And so I'm happy I follow my intuition because not only was a, a fantastic experience, and uh, if I could go back in time, I would do it all over again. It was a very hard experience. I was not in a good place when I got there. I found it hard to overcome my friend's passing because, you know, someone that's the same age like you and uh, they hadn't had kids yet and, and there was so much to believe that didn't happen. And you get a little bit of that sense of guilt, uh, rather, that why am I getting to do all these things? And she didn't get to do those things. But that's uh, that's obviously why uh, my motto actually in France became pourquoi pas, which in French is why not. So people would invite me, I don't know, they invited me to the Madonna concert in Paris and I would say pourquoi pas. And they would make, you know, crazy uh, invitations um, just to go places and to do things that I didn't care about. But, you know, I would just say pourquoi pas, let's just do it and uh, live life to the fullest. And it became my motto. And then let me tell you one thing. My father thought it was a waste of time that I was learning French. So when I went there, he's like, why are you wasting your time? He wanted me to go work for him right away. And I said, no, I'll do it. I'll come back to Venezuela and I'll work for you. And if you heard this podcast and some of the episodes, you will know that I've said in a few of the episodes that I had sworn never to work for the family business. And then I guess this whole episode that I just told you changed my perspective. And and I said, you know, if I'm going to work hard and work for something, I much rather do it for my dad's legacy and for the family business. And that's how I decided to do it. But I needed that break. I needed those six months for myself to remember who I was, what I liked. And when I was ready, I, I said, yes. So this is where it gets interesting in terms of the professional life, right? So after six months, I eventually moved back to Venezuela. I was moving from the United States to Venezuela on September 11, 2001. So I need not to explain what happened that day, but I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave for two weeks. I got stuck in the U.S., And although I had returned from France to the U.S. to pack my things, remember they had only given me 30 days to leave. So what I did is I left right away and I said, you know what, I'll come back uh, in September, pack my stuff and uh, proceed to moving back home. And so I'm dealing with my own emotional mess, right? Being back in the U.S., now I'm going back home. I'm going back to live with my parents after living alone for a long time, after having a top shot job, now I'm going to work for the family business, after having a very stable relationship that I was pretty sure probably would end in marriage, and now I'm back to square zero. So yeah, I was an emotional mess, missing my friend. And September 11 happens, and I get stuck. So that didn't put me in like a great situation because everybody at that point was mourning and we were all in shock of what had happened. And so it just it just was not exactly what I had envisioned. But in any case, after two weeks, I made it home. 
And slowly I started getting reacquainted with what I had left and uh, being at home with my parents, which, by the way, I loved. I never saw going back to live with my parents at, um, I think I was 32 at the time, uh, as a problem. I actually enjoyed it. But yeah, some some aspects of uh, the independency I lost and uh, Venezuela being a very, very unsafe place, that took a toll because I couldn't move as freely and as independently as I was used in the U.S. But uh, probably that's a whole little, <laughs> a whole different subject for a, a, another episode. So I start working with the family business. I want to show my dad you know, that I had the experience, that I had what it takes. I started working on a few deals and I land on a very interesting deal that was um, brought to me by my friends at Nortel. So I thought this is this is a good deal. It's, it's being vouched for by the company I was working for. And I started working in it and we land a huge deal. That was my first project. I was so happy. It was a big, big project. And so I'm starting to gain my confidence again. And uh, some time passes and the project has had very demanding uh, schedules. So we were asked to put money to guarantee performance. I convinced my dad to put it. He didn't want to. So we put the money down and uh, we start working on the on the on the towers and we had to build a bunch of them because otherwise we were going to lose the performance guarantee that we have put on it and guess what the guy that we had contracted with that was vetted by Nortel that seemed to be like all credible the guy was a ponzi schemer the guy was a crook and he made a lot of companies lose money as included so there goes my first big deal in the family business. Um, my dad told my mom that he knew I was going to lose the money, and yet he gave me the money to do the deal, to put the guarantee. And uh, he's such an amazing boss, let me tell you. He actually said, take the lost money as an investment for your MBA. And I said, Dad, but you already paid for my MBA, for two masters, actually. And he said, well, then a doctorate. And, you know, it was actually cheap because you learned from it and your brother learned from it and your sister also learned from this experience. I was shocked, you know, like my dad had empowered us to do something. He knew we were going to get burned. He still went ahead and did it. He wasn't that nice with the customer because he said, we're going to sue this guy and he we have to take him out of the streets because at that point we have found out that he had burned a whole lot of people. This guy was a professional scammer. That's the only thing that makes me feel a little better about that whole experience. But I don't want to get into that. To me, that's negative energy. But I, I want I want to get to the to the, let's say, the beauty of the story. So here we are, we lost the money we gave in terms of performance, and we had gone ahead and built 15 towers that were very specific, and we had a couple of million dollars on the ground that we couldn't sell. And uh, so I felt beyond terrible. Uh, my state of mind ugh, continuing <laughs> wasn't fantastic. I say this, this year was 2001 and 2002 where, man, they were ruthless. But so we had these towers that basically we're not going to be able to sell now uh, because the deal is off and they're very specific. And then one day, probably a week or two after this whole explosion, this very shy email comes through our main webpage 
through the contact email, so the generic email, and it's in French. And it's basically a request asking if we have any towers in stock in French. So my brother tells me, you know, there's this strange email, it's in French, maybe it's the competition. My dad said, no, forget about it, that's scam. And, you know, I say, why? Let, let me just answer it. And so, of course, I was eager to practice my French. I couldn't use it anywhere else, as my dad had predicted. And I, I respond the email. Well, guess what? Turns out this was an operator, a wireless carrier in the French West Indies, meaning Martinique and Guadeloupe and the French Guyana. And they indeed were in very desperate need of some towers because their project was running late. So in a matter of days, this guy tells me, if I fly to Venezuela, and he's all French, he did not speak a word of English. He said, if I fly to Venezuela, would I see these towers there? And I said, sure, come. The guy came, which is unbelievable even now. I pick him up at the airport, took him to our factory, show him the towers all the same day, use my French to do all this. And of course, that was, you know, stressful because the technical French is very different from, you know, your everyday French. In any case, it got me by. And guess what? We sold those towers to that customer. This is 2002. And that became one of our main customers. We went on and built many, many towers in those islands. And even... Two months ago, this same customer purchased from me, and we're still very good friends. We we forge an invaluable friendship. He still doesn't speak English, but that's okay. My French uh, has survived. It's a little bit rusty because I haven't been back studying in France. I've been there for vacation, but you know, it was it was amazing. It was amazing, and I owe it to the French, to the language that was going to be worthless. Had I not followed my intuition, we would have not gotten one of the best customers our company has had. So yes, my dad by now has admitted that French was valuable. And I also reflected upon the fact that nothing bad happens for no reason. The very traumatic experience that I went with that bad customer was what triggered our ability to have those towers ready for that opportunity when the opportunity came. But also the fact that I didn't dismiss my intuition of learning French, even without knowing what it was going to bring to my life. Even when everything is against all the odds, like what's your return on this investment? Why do you want to do this? This is what we do. We sabotage ourselves. And when people, when I hear people saying, oh, I wanted to do this, I wanted to study that. And I say, why don't you? Why don't you do it? and say, well, I'm too old, I don't have time, then you don't want it enough. You don't want it enough. But if you want it, just go for it. Make the time, one step at a time. Now, this podcast is also an outcome of my intuition, and I've said this many times, I don't know where it's taking me, but I'm having fun and tell you what, 
I'm meeting a lot of nice people. I've, I wouldn't even say good friends because, for example, Alistair and Julie Roxanne, hello guys, who are editing my podcast on a weekly basis. I met them through the fellowship, the, the workshop that we did for our podcast. We never met, but, you know, we've spoken on the phone and we exchange emails weekly. And basically, I feel I know them. And I also hear their podcast, which is called Far Out. Uh, and you should check it too. And uh, it's so f- they're so funny. And they also share a lot of insights on living. And I just found a community, I feel, of people that are kind of on the same path. And I hope that you out there listening to this are feeling the same, are feeling I'm, you're not alone. There's people like you that are, are uh, in the search for something and that to follow a path that, you know, is the unwritten path and that we are going through life and we are trying to make the most out of our lives. And that's why I feel if we don't uh, tune ourselves or tune in into the messages of the universe, then we're missing on something bigger because the signs are there and they're everywhere. And, um, you know, I think if I wasn't going to talk about it, but I think it's relevant because when I recovered from that very bad breakup that I started this episode with, it took me it took me many years to be honest. But then, you know, I put myself out there and I follow my intuition. And when I sign into Match.com in a time where no one was doing Match.com, this was two thousand and five. Actually, signing maybe 2004. And then, you know, I did it on and off three months and then I got off and then I did it again. But in any case, it was a time where people weren't doing it. And when I signed up, I never thought I'm going to meet the man I'm going to marry. Never. But I did think I have to signal the universe that I'm ready to do this, that I'm serious about doing this. And I have to risk I have to be vulnerable and I have to put myself out there. Otherwise, it's just when you talk and you don't act upon what you're talking, the universe knows. The universe is no dummy. You may say, oh, I want to uh, a promotion and you're not working hard or, you know, I, I want to go on a beautiful vacation and you're not saving. I mean, the, the universe knows what you really want and your heart knows what you really want. And so I have always made a purpose on, on following that. And so I registered into Match.com with no expectation of finding my husband, but I guess it's because I had no expectations and it was coming from a pure place, from pure intention that I met my husband and that really the impossible became possible and he's obviously featured on this podcast, so you can revisit, but when people meet us, people ask all the time, where did you guys meet? Because we have so much stuff in common that they cannot fathom that we met online. Sometimes I cannot fathom that we met online. And I'm so lucky and so happy that him being the also engineering kind of type, very logical, that he also took a leap of faith. And that's also where we connect well because we're both very logical people and a little bit skeptical at times but we allow ourselves to be a little crazy and, and to try new things 
And so if there's anything out there that that you've been wanting to try, that you've been wanting to do, just give it a chance. Just go for it. Go for it. And don't ask, don't ask around. Don't ask people what they think because there's always going to be someone waiting to tell you that that's a bad idea, that that's a loss of money, that that's not useful. And this, like in my case of the story I just told, can be can can come from your dad, someone that obviously has the best interest for you, but it's, not, it's something that maybe is not important to him, it's not relevant to him. Well, the bottom line, other people are not you, and only you know, only you know what makes you connect with yourself. Only you know what makes your time pass quickly because you're having fun, because you're passionate about something. Only you know what makes you tick. And that, my friends, is the whole purpose of this podcast. So all I have to say is I hope you liked this little story about intuition and this little spin-off of my last episode with Zach Luce. I enjoy sharing it with you, some of my tough moments and, and how I've come around from those just by staying strong, staying true to what I believe and uh, just being connected to what I feel in my heart is what makes me tick, which in my case is to inspire others to do what they think is impossible. I want to help people make the impossible possible because the power is within each one of us. And so I hope that these first 20 episodes have at least helped some of you do that. I actually know of my cousin in Italy, Juicy, who is a psychologist and she enjoys cooking. And recently she told me, thank you, because now she's going to develop a whole therapy based around cooking. Believe it or not, sounds good, huh? Who wouldn't want to go to Sicily to do therapy with food? That's fantastic. So congrats, Juicy, and keep it up, okay? Don't let that idea die. Just go with it. And Thank you, everybody, for being part of this. Thanks for joining. And if you want to do something nice for me, tell your friends, anybody that you think would enjoy this podcast, please tell them. And if you can review it and give it five stars, that's the best way to grow a podcast. So I haven't been that good in asking for your reviews and comments. So now I have to start doing that if I want to have another 20 episodes. So... If you can find the time to leave me a review on iTunes, I really appreciate it. Go to our Facebook page if you want me to interview someone in particular or to touch upon any subject. And thanks again for your support. It means the world to me. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. And until the next time. Bye.